It's football and other F-words. My name is Zach Lyons. You can follow me on X at F-WordSpot. He's Mike Kerndon, who's enjoying probably, what, what is it, how uh, cold is it over there? Like 40-something degrees or something? 20, 20 degrees 20. this morning. It's it getting up to 40 this morning. It got up to negative 8 this, or down to negative 8 this morning Good in Lord. my area. It was insane. I, I we're, we're going out of town, but the dogs were overdue for a uh, grooming appointment, so I trekked out to the snow to petco this morning it got down to negative eight i guess at one point while i was driving which is insane uh it's in the office it's a little cold because we have the fireplace running the fireplace is right next to the thermostat so cold everywhere else in the house downstairs so that's why i got the the hoodie on the bucky's um bucky's uh sock hat if you will on or toboggan nice, if nice. you depend on your regional uh usage of the word but uh, podcarski.com is where you can find your written stuff. You got it. What, what do you got in the books for today? Anything? So today, yeah, today coming up, uh, it's not live just yet, but it will be. I did six lessons that you can take away, one from each uh, wild card game. Uh, I didn't want to. I honestly Dude, didn't Trey, want to write. It's Trey's article today, too. At stacking oh, is it really? Yeah. That's funny. Um, because nobody's so, been talking about it on the radio, so I was like, Oh, this would be a good one to do because we were going to talk about it on Monday on a football show, and we didn't get around to it. But lessons learned from the wild card teams, and I think there's a lot to be learned from those games because they're all very different, and and I think they're all they all bring their kind of unique lessons to the table. But yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to beat the, the coaching search drum any more than I already did last week because I already gave and, like, you know, yeah, my thoughts on, on the coaching search, which we'll get into a little bit more here. Um, and I knew we'd be talking about that today here too. So I didn't want to just write my article and then talk about the whole thing on here too. So you well, get a little bit something is, is that there. everybody is continuing to still rank the coach openings. We are now like two or three weeks into the coaching search and there's still like yesterday all on the radio. I think almost every radio station yesterday, one of the topics was ranking the coaching openings. Like, did they all get together and decide that we are going to do the same boring ass content during this coaching search? Yeah. I mean, I guess it's a good, it's a good framework for discussion, I guess. But to me, I think all that is a waste of time because frankly, mm. the coat, the, it's going to be in the eye of the beholder, right? Like some, some coaches are probably going to be like, yeah, I'd rather live in Nashville than LA. Some are going to be like, give me LA. You know, so some are going to view like Amy Adams strong differently than, other coaches might, um, you know, in in roster con- composition, all that stuff. Like, there's beauty and eye of the beholder. I think very much. Yeah. In the uh, coach, and everybody's writing the same description. I, I've seen, except for over at stackinginbox.com, where you should go for all of your coaching information. I mean, we're except for Mike Kafka. I've I've uh, uh, broached over three thousand words on all the, uh, and most of the time four thousand words on all the. Uh, <laughs> Coach you can't, except for Nosferatu himself, Mike Kafka. Uh, we, we are going to do the generic thing of just talking about our general head coaching rankings. But if you want our real thoughts on the head coaches, the in-depth, in-depth information on like staffs they can bring and all that, go to stackingtheinbox.com. And instead, we're going to be talking about some hiring philosophies for the good chunk of this show. It's going to be a shorter show as well today, but it will be a, a good chunk is spent on just the philosophies and the the narratives that are out there surrounding just the hiring process in general. So make sure you are over, if you're listening anywhere other than uh, YouTube, head over to the 440 Sports YouTube page, hit subscribe, turn on notifications, so you can always join the discussion. And of course, YouTube is where the uh, YouTube is where you can actually join the discussion by sending in your comments and all that kind of stuff. It's, you can on Facebook, but YouTube's better. Um, as well, you need to just keep in mind that uh bluegrass beverages you may need you may be feeling like you need to get out of the house you're a little stir crazy and your liquor supplies are dwindling the the roads to bluegrass beverages are pretty clear so they there's a couple of icy spots but other than that bluegrass beverages hendersonville tennessee go get your supplies for this this winter storm and there's another storm coming on thursday so today is probably the day to get everything that you need for the next little little wave of snow coming in on Thursday here in Nashville, Tennessee, Bluegrass Beverages, Hendersonville, Tennessee. All right, Mike, just real quick. Like if you want to do tiers, you can do tiers. If you just want to do a straight up ranking, 
whatever floats your boat. Give the people your top 10 in order. Top 10. Okay. So I will say I'll give, I'll give it in tiers. Okay. So tier one to me, and this is an order for this tier, at least um, Ben Johnson, Brian Callahan, Bobby Slowick. Those are my top three. I think they're kind of separated from the bunch to me. They're all offensive coaches. Um, you know, obviously Callahan does not have the play calling experience, but he does have a long, long history. Well, there, there's there's some discrepancy with that. Like yeah. Zach Zach Taylor says he does do some play calling. I think it's all red zone play calling, if I'm not mistaken. It's kind of what I'm piecing together. Then there's people that follow the team that says he does do some play calling. So it's kind of like he does and he doesn't. It sounds like it's kind of a collaborative process between him and Zach Taylor to me. Like that yeah. that is and so yeah, he's not been a pure this is the voice of the offense play caller like Ben Johnson has, like Bobby Slowick has. But you now Bobby Slowick has only done it for one year. So like I don't know how much value that has versus uh Callahan, although Slowick did it really well. So like that that goes in his favor. But um, but those are my top three, all offensive coaches. I think that's the direction that they need to go. Um, that's my strong preference anyways. Uh, but I guess dropping down into the next tier of like, I'll call this, um, you know, if you don't go offense, I like Mike McDonald. I, I think Mike McDonald is a extremely bright coach. Um, I think he's going to be a good head coach. Uh, I think he would bring a different look. I think he's an analytical type of guy. I don't think he's, you know, this, you know, I know people think all defensive coaches are like, you know, the meathead, uh, you know, old school, like whatever. I don't think he's that. I think he's very innovative. I think he's new, like, you know, cutting age kind of defensive mind. Um, if you're going to go defense, go Mike McDonald. So he's kind of in a tier on his own as my top defensive choice. After that, I really get into like, I could be talked into. Um, and, and I will give those uh, Thomas Brown and Aaron Glenn. I think those are my next two. I could be talked into those guys. Um, we can talk about them a little bit more in depth uh individually stackinginbox.com has over 4700 words on Aaron Glenn tomorrow. <laughs> it was easily the most fun I've had researching a candidate the stories that date back to the Bill Parcells era of football and and their relationship was just so fucking fast. Did you know that Bill Parcells wrestled a bear? I did not know that. That's interesting. Just saying, just saying <laughs> I can wrestle a bear. How big of a bear? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I, I haven't done that part of the research. I was too deep in the Aaron Glenn stuff. And then listening to uh, milk toast, Bobby Slowick, who has like the lowest energy oh, of any of these candidates ever. That, that is my biggest drawback with Slowick is like, he does not have head coach energy, right? Like he, right. he has the, uh, the like he has the energy level of a like, dead sloth is how it, I uh, put it. It is like, it was it, you, if you imagine the most boring person you ever met, and then, then imagine someone more boring than them. That and is Bobby Sloak. That's that's really a, a, a hindrance for me with the Bobby Sloak stuff. But we'll get to my ring. And he did, and he did used to work for PFF. He does feel like a PFF like analyst. Just like if you just threw them all in the public eye, that's that's kind of how I view like what that that position would look like. But anyway, he's, he's, um, he's that Tim O'Risky guy. Just it, just coaching. Yes, exactly. His name exactly. Tim O'Risky yeah. or whatever. And uh, what was the, who's the other one? Anyways, um, y- y'all know the PFF people we're talking about, but um, after By that, the way, JJ Watt destroyed PFF and it was amazing. This is the I, best yeah, thing that JJ Watt's ever said. He's finally, yeah, I'm, I'm almost kind of liking JJ Watt in retirement uh, a little bit. I like which, Tom Brady, like after he left the Patriots, everybody started, started kind of liking Tom Brady. Yeah, I know. Well, I, I actually kind of came around to Tom Brady before he left New England, but yeah, it's, it, it is. As they move away from like dominating your favorite team, it become more easy to root for. And then I guess after that tier, the Thomas Brown, Aaron Glenn, like I could be talked into a tier. I have the tier of guys that like, I just don't really want them. I don't want Dan Quinn. Uh, I don't really want Brian Johnson. And I know like the Philly thing isn't his fault necessarily, but he's a part of that. And and there's been a huge drop off on that uh, coaching staff. Today, by the way, uh, on Wednesday is the meeting with Sirianni and the rest of the staff. And like, 
or the rest of the uh, Howie Roseman, Jeff Lurie. And this was when Doug Peterson got fired. So it'll be interesting to see if Nick Sirianni gets fired after today. If he's, if he's not announced as fired today, he's the head coach in 2024. Yeah. Uh, and then the other two that are in my don't really want you uh, category would be Mike Kafka and uh, Antonio Pierce. I just, I'm just not a huge fan of either one. Like it, to me, Pierce is like Vrabel 2.0. Um, I just, I don't want to go back down that road again. Except the players like him more. Just throwing it out. No, come on. That's bullshit. Like how many articles were written about Mike Vrabel and his like connection to players and Kenny Vaccaro talking about how he's different than like any coach he's ever had before and all the, it's, it's, you know. it's interesting that they have to be asked to, to go on record. Whereas the oh, people or the Raiders don't. Come there's on. difference between there, being well, loved nev- and there liked. Was never there's a difference cam- between being loved and liked, Mike. There was, hey, there was never a, a situation where Vrabel was like your in mom a spot. Loves Dom, your your child. She likes you. Like, well, she's okay, that's that's fine. <laughs> but look, Antonio Pierce. The reason they're coming out for Antonio Pierce is because they there's a decision to be made. None of the Titans players even thought there was a decision to be made on Vrabel. That's why there wasn't a campaign to save Vrabel's job or whatever. Like even how much they and, were paying attention. <laughs> and Simmons were just like, we didn't even know that that was on the table. So um, it, I think if there had yes, been a situation there for all the losing, I guess, I don't know. I don't know what, the, well, what they were there well, maybe they're, they're naive to the way that that works. But uh, yeah, yeah it, I think um, I, I think if there had been, there would have been a big Titans contingent of players that would have come out and been, you know, keep Mike Vrabel, all this stuff. I think he was loved. Hey, I agree with I, you. I, Dick I think... Whisper, and Mason Kinsey and Jack Gibby. They would have been like lining up at St. Thomas Sports Park, like the Proud Boys trying to get in and make sure that he's not. They would have had a January 6th riot trying to keep Mike Vrabel if they knew that he was, there was a chance he's even going to fire because their only reason he's in the league, they're in the league, think, is because like, of Mike ben, Vrabel. <laughs> ben Jones loved Mike Vrabel. Taylor Lewan loved Mike Vrabel. Uh, Derek Henry loved Mike Vrabel. It, it Jeff Simmons loved Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel, Taylor Lewan to get there. I mean, I, I think those, I think. Almost every player who's come through the door, like there's exceptions, sure. Like if you want to talk about the malcontents, like Tier Tard and Jamil, Jamil, whatever, but Jaleel Johnson, um, uh, and all these losers, Monty Rice that that have come in and washed out, like all the losers yeah. that got that got cut. Yeah. There's still a lot of losers that are still employed because of Mike Vrabel. And I, I agree. Yeah. They would have came out and supported him, like I said. He's selective um, with the losers that he likes. But uh, but I will <laughs> say, like, by and large, that locker room loved Mike Vrabel. So I don't think it's like fair Mike to say Vrabel. that, like, uh, Antonio Pierce has some, like, huge step up on Vrabel as far as player relationships. I just don't. I think yeah. that's a narrative. I don't, I don't see anybody asking for a trade now that Mike Vrabel's gone. I don't. I think Max Crosby's bluffing. By the way, I I don't believe for a second that he's gonna like actually demand to leave if Antonio Pearson get the well, job. I think that's Antonio the Pearson getting hired anyway. So I think I think, I think, I think that's the actually tool the right he thing. can use right now to put any pressure on the organization, which clearly they want Pearson. I'm glad for that. I think he should he's, stay there. I, I think the general consensus is in Raiders Nation is that he's getting hired. Yeah. Uh, so I'm with it. So like to me, it's like Antonio Pierce. And Ben Johnson aren't even realistic options for the Tennessee Titans. Like, so I kind of throw them to the side. I have them ranked, but I kind of throw them to the side because Ben Johnson's going to the Commanders. I mean, let's just call it like it is. He's going to the Commanders. Seems um, like it. Yeah. And so I don't think Ben Johnson, he hasn't even scheduled an interview here yet. He has scheduled an interview elsewhere already with the Panthers and the Commanders. And I think he already did one with the Chargers and he has not one done one here. So. I'm kind of feeling like the writing's on the wall. Ben Johnson ain't ain't a real candidate. I mean, he's a yeah. he's a requested candidate, but he ain't coming. Uh, yeah, so I got I think Brian. The I'm, want him. I, I think he doesn't want the Titans. Yeah, I got tier. I got one tier, which is these guys. I think would be home run hires, and that's Brian Callahan and Mike McDonald. And uh, I have Mike McDonald pretty high. Of course, this is excluding Ben Johnson. But if Ben Johnson suddenly was a viable actual candidate, I would put Ben Johnson in this tier and he would be above Mike McDonald. But I think those are the two guys that you're getting the most creative, the most experienced in different ways uh, to be. I think they fit the vision, right? If the vision is innovative, um, evolving, evolved, sustained success, aligned and collaborative and a premier NFL franchise, the Super Bowl champions. And that is the vision that they have said. I think those two fit the bill the most. Uh, and then I have the next tier and it's kind of like almost a standalone tier for me. It's like 
people are so people have no clue just how good this guy is, and that's what stacking inbox.com is for. And I think that's Aaron Glenn. And he is not only the number one defensive coordinator voted on by the players, but he's the number one coordinator out of all position positions as the most highest graded by his players. And so I think that Aaron Glenn has a deep coaching history. He has really good mentors. Pete Carroll, Bill Belichick, uh, 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 Bill Parcells, and Sean Payton are like four of his biggest mentors in this in, in this thing. Like Aaron Glenn is more Sean McDermott defensive head coach than Mike Vrabel defensive head coach. And maybe you don't like Sean McDermott and that doesn't do anything for you. But we both said that Sean McDermott is a better head coach than Mike Vrabel just a, a week ago. So I think he's more closer to that style where he is open to bringing in an offensive play caller and let the guy do the offense the way he wants to letting the guy um, like Aaron, like Aaron Glenn would hire someone like a Brian Dayball or something like that. And, and yes, they may crank out different people and different OCs, but you're going to have at least two years with this next OC. No matter who is hired, you're going to have two years. Nobody's going to get immediately hired after this year because your your roster is kind of in a terrible state. You know, unless you, unless you guys go crazy on offense, which is probably out of the realm possibility. It doesn't matter if you have an offensive head coach or a defensive head coach. That offensive coordinator is probably going to still be here unless he gets fired. <laughs> like that's just how it is. Then the next tier down is like. I know he's good, I think, but I just can't I can't get past the personality. I can't get past the energy. And I don't think players as as you can beat over the head, beat or beat a dead horse with players or uh, leader of men, but I don't even think he's a leader. And I mean and I don't not in the locker room or anything, but there is just something about Bobby Sloak that like everything on paper and everything in a game is good. But everything that we don't see is what like I'm definitely worried about when you are watching these videos and these media availabilities and these interviews. I just don't see it. I don't see head coach energy. And I'm with you on that. Then I have Thomas Brown. And I we're going to talk about box score scouting coaches. But he went into an untenable situation and, and was offensive coordinator that called plays for three games. And it was not an offense he's familiar with. Like, I understand. Like, if anything, you knock Thomas Brown for is is taking the job. But there's only 32 offensive coordinator positions. You don't knock him from the head coaching search because he went to a, a bad situation that was toxic the whole way through. That started from David Tepper down to Scott Fitterer down to Frank Wright, and he's in an offense that has no playmakers, that's not an offense that he is is known to uh, be involved with because he's with Sean McVay. You watch the history of what Sean McVay has done with him and how he begged him to join the staff. He begged him to join the staff at the Rams. Sean McVay did. Thomas Brown is legit. Thomas Brown needs to be on your radars. You guys got to understand that you cannot box score scout. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Then I'm with you. I think I got Antonio Pierce above everybody else, but I just don't think it's likely. Brian Johnson, Dan Quinn, Mike Kafka, um, and and PBK saying Thomas Brown designed the offense. They ran Zach. No, he did not. Frank Reich did. Is Frank Reich's offense? He worked within the framework of Frank Reich. PBK known uh, disinformation spreader, so um, you know I wouldn't pay much attention to him. Um, but Brian Johnson. Tom and Dan Quinn, Mike Kafka would be like, no's for me. I, I, and Brian Johnson through no fault of his own. I just don't think he's ready. Mike Kafka. I just don't think is good. And Dan Quinn is just Mike Vrabel. He's just Kyle Shanahan merchant, Mike Vrabel with a slightly better resume, but he's not a very good coach. He's a Michael so, Parsons merchant. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that too. Congrats. Like, I mean, I'm just a, good. Why you have some wildly talented players in Dallas. Yeah. Yeah, and and PBK says he'll tag me, even though he hid from me when I asked him to show me the rules about scheduling. So take it for what it's worth. It's probably like from the Inquirer, National Inquirer or something. So anyway, <laughs> um, we all know what's going on in Carolina. So that brings me to talking about like these head coaching philosophies that are out there. And I think there's a lot of lazy narratives being driven out there. I think that there we're, we could have a, big discussion, but I think there's first off a lot of lazy analysis 
Um, I think people do not go in and search the full background. And listen, I'm I'm completely open to seeing whatever the PBK is going to tag me in and reading it. But there's also you got to read between the lines and know what's going on. One article does not tell you the whole story of a candidate. One article does not tell you the whole story of what goes on behind the scenes and your box scores that you see. Like when you see Brian Johnson's offense or um, Ben or um, Brian Johnson's offense or Thomas Brown's offense uh, take the field. It's not necessarily has to be their offense. It's not necessarily that they're the ones calling the plays because Nick Sirianni and apparently uh, Brian Johnson are all over the map, right? Like they're all kind of, you know, in each other's ears talking. And that's kind of how it was with Shane Steichen and all that kind of stuff. There's just so much history when you get into these coaches, that's kind of lazy. It's like, to me, it's like when people say, well, the Titans need to bring in Liam Cohen to be offensive coordinator. Outside of him coaching, um, have never coached, by the way, a 4,000-yard passer. <laughs> but outside of him coaching Will Levis in Kentucky one year, I what is your reasoning behind it? And nobody really gives you a reasoning. And then, you know, some people say, well, he he was the Rams offensive coordinator in, you know, I guess 2022 or something like that, whenever it was. Well, they weren't that good in 2022, so, you know, we'll see. But, like, he's never coached up a passer to an NFL level. And I feel like there's better versions of Liam Cohen everywhere in everybody's coaching tree. So I feel like it's just lazy analysis. That's just one example of what. What about you? I mean, I I actually do oh, think... I'm sorry, Z-Dean. I, I said that without seeing Z-Dean's comment where he goes, any head coach candidates have ties to Liam Cohen. That was not an attack on you, Z-Dean. That was already planned in my notes to to talk about that. I don't think they have to hire Liam Cohen, but do I think it would be a good idea if, to bring in someone who clearly has a good relationship with Will Levis already? Because like that that play, that, that offensive coordinator, quarterback, trust thing, I think is big. Um, and there's already built-in trust there. So like, if you did... For example, hire Thomas Brown, who coached in L.A. with Liam Cohen for many years. Uh, would it make sense for Thomas Brown to hire Liam Cohen to come in as his offensive coordinator? Absolutely. That makes perfect sense to me. Uh, do I think it's like a job requirement that, you know, whoever is hired hires Liam Cohen? No, I don't think it's anywhere near that level. But I do think it makes sense. Like, right? Like, it, and I also think, um, you know, that like, – you don't need to um, like, you don't have to shoehorn anything in, but like one of the biggest things that I want to know is like, who can you hire as an offensive line coach uh, in the interview process? Right. So like, you know, I'd be very interested in candidates who could bring in like a really respected offensive line coach and whether, I don't know whether Brian Callahan's dad would leave Cleveland to come coach with his son or not. But if that was on the table, that puts Brian Callahan maybe all the way to the top of my list, to be honest. Because if you could get Bill Callahan working with the offensive line, that makes a big deal. It makes a big difference to me. And obviously he's not going to leave you know, his son's side. So there's not even the potential of poaching uh, if that was to come to pass. So like, and I don't know whether he would or not, but I'm just throwing that out as an example. I do think there are staff hires that would make candidates, you know, far more appealing than others, even if the uh, uh, overall resume maybe is not that much better or, you know, maybe even a little bit worse. But I do think your point, um, just generally about box score scouting coaches is, probably the biggest thing to me because like Thomas Brown is the perfect example. Everyone just looks at, Oh, well, where is he coaching now? And did that side of the ball do good this season? Um, and that's just not all that goes into it because there's so much, we, we just talked about, you know, the Titans roster and the deterioration of the roster. And like Mike Vrabel didn't, wasn't a good coach in, 2019 and 2020 and 2011 and then suddenly a bad coach in 2022 and 2023 like he's been the same guy the whole time and and I think it's absurd to ignore the fact that rosters are different across the league some rosters are more talented than others ultimately it's up to the coach to get the most out of what you do have to work with but 
I mean, it's just not it's just not as simple as well hired the guy from the number one offense last year, and that's that's going to be the best coach because we've seen coaches come from all sorts of different uh, you know teams backgrounds things like that and go on to have success uh, and and it's not always just as clear as that like and I've used this example before but is the Vikings wide receivers coach the best wide receivers coach in the NFL or is Justin Jefferson just fucking awesome? You know, like it doesn't mean that the coach gets all the credit for that. It could just be that Justin Jefferson was always going to be awesome. No matter who his wide receivers coach was because he's got like an S two score. That's freaking off the charts. And because he's big and talented and works hard and does all the things uh, that he needs to do to be successful anyways and you know he gets some some help from his coaches along the way but i just think it's dangerous to sit there and like 100% ascribe whatever success or lack of success a unit has to its direct coach right like it's just not as simple as that it's giving way too much credit to coaches to be honest uh cuz at the end of the day if you don't have the players We've seen good coaches have bad players and have bad performances, right? Like, I just don't think um, you can sit there and draw that line every single time. Um, even though it's look, it's hard to not do that because that requires, like, in-depth research into each of these guys, what, what people are saying about them around the league, what their players say about them, what former coaches say about them, all that stuff is what is required. And a lot of people just don't either care that much, <laughs> frankly, or have the time to do all that research, which is why you read stacking the inbox and, and go get, you know, the in-depth and, uh, you know, analysis of who these guys really are, because that, at the end of the day, that's what matters. Not whatever their unit did last year. Yeah. Like to me, I mean, remember if, if, if what the unit did really says something about what the head coach is, Vrabel would have never got hired as head coach. Like that, that, I mean, and, and listen, Vrabel got fired. So take that with what you will, but Vrabel brought this team, took a, took a, an average team, made it really good. Yeah. And then it got really bad, but he, he did that even now I will say this, the Mike Vrabel situation kind of bled into what the defense looked like. I mean, the defense was never like fantastic. Didn't matter if you had Dean Pease, Jim Schwartz, Shane Bowen, didn't matter who was back there coaching that defense. It just never was that great. I'll, it was I'll say, never good. I'll say this, though, because we just talked about, you know, rosters mattering and stuff like that. This team never had, like, a premier, premier pass rusher uh, during Vrabel's time. And I, I'm a, as big a Landry fan as there is out there. But he's not, a you know, a Bosa or a Watt or any of these guys that are, like, the true – game-changing, game-wrecking type pass rushers. I think you have to have to have an elite defense. And I still go back to what, you know, Robert Mays and um, Nate Tice said on the Athletic Football Podcast uh, a couple years ago. They asked around the league, I think it was um, it was maybe last offseason or, or, the, or the one before that, and they, they always do this. They ask around, you know, when they talk to coaches, they say, who are you studying? Who are you trying to pick up things from? And he, they said that almost to a man, every coach they talked to around the league was saying, we're studying the Titans. We're studying the Titans pressure packages, the things that they're able to do with that front um, and and how they mix things up with coverage on the back end, that they, they were studying what the Titans were doing. So I don't think while the results were never like a elite here with the defense, they were good for a good chunk of, of Rabel's tenure here. Um, I do think they were pretty innovative in what they were actually doing schematically. I just don't think they really had like star level players. I mean, Jeffrey Simmons and Kevin Byard were the two star level players that they ever had on this defense. And neither one of them played like one of the two premier positions in edge or corner. So like, I just don't know like how much you can expect that to, to translate into elite offense or elite defensive performances, even if it's being coached well and schemed well. So I do think Vrabel had some, some unique and interesting things that he did defensively, even if, you know, at the end of the day, they weren't like the Browns or whoever you want to use as a, a or the Ravens as a, a example for uh truly elite defensive performance. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, the next thing I kind of want to talk about is like the people who say, oh man, I cannot believe they got rid of Mike Vrabel. He's such a great head coach, blah, blah, blah. And then turn around and say, well, they can't hire someone that is even like sniffs the defensive coach realm. Like you can't do that. You can't do that. Even though I've just said Vrabel's a good coach. Now, listen, if you're, if you're a Vrabel hater and you say they can't do it, Hey, listen, I, I preach consistency. Um, but at some point, you, some of this stuff has to start making sense when it comes out of your yeah, mouth. I don't. Um, I think it kind of does, though. Doesn't it make some sense that here's, no, here's that my take on it? Because I think I think people who say excluding all defensive coordinators and all de- no, because I, I had when I talked about Aaron Glenn today. So this is what I mean. So when I talked about Aaron Glenn today, and I just mentioned I think it's gonna, he's going to change people's minds. People automatically say can't hire a defensive head coach because uh, they're going to run a uh, 1990s offense. No, yeah, I don't think that's true. I think I think that is lazy and short-sighted because there are, uh, you know, defensive head coaches around the league that have run advanced offenses before. I mean, like Bill Belichick is a defensive head coach and had literally the best offense in the history of the sport uh, in 2007. So uh, I don't think it's as simple as defensive head coach equals, you know, we're going to run the ball uh, every time we can and and try to you know, make it a race to 17 every game. Um, so I think that's short-sighted and lazy. Um, but I do understand people who don't want to go to a defensive coach because they look at it as you just fired a defensive coach um, who was pretty good, who had some good results along the way. If you're going to make that big move, go in the other direction, go get an offensive guy and and try to be, you know, one of these teams that has their Sean McVay, their Kyle Shanahan, you know, that that kind of setup uh, where you've got consistency on that side of the ball. I, I completely understand that reasoning um, and why some people don't want to consider a defensive coach, even though they liked Frable and didn't want him to go. So I think there is some logic in there, but I agree that, like, if it's based on you think all defensive coaches are going to run bad offense, that's just not accurate. And and everybody talks about the chasing of the OCs. Like I said, no matter who's coming in this this year, they're staying for a minimum of two years. So that gives you enough chance to. Yeah, uh, I mean, like, come on, Matt huh? Lafleur. Matt Lafleur didn't. He was one year. I think that was a year. special situation. He didn't do anything to really earn the head coach. I just think that people were chasing the McVeigh person, like at that. But time. people are still chasing the McVeigh person. <laughs> if if they hired, say, they hired Liam Cohen. And Liam Cohen comes in and puts up, you know, 35 points a game with Will Levis. Well, that's different. That's an extreme case, right? You're using extreme case to support your case. They, well, and I said at the earlier, and I said at the, did, did Matt LaFleur go 35 points a game? No. No. I, I said at the beginning of this whole thing that I, unless the OC goes insane, it's not likely that the OC is going to go insane this year. I mean, we. I think we can both say that this is going to be a yeah. rebuilding year. The likelihood that this offense goes and puts up 35 points a game is fucking slim. Now, listen, if they do, they deserve to have a head coaching job. But if they go from 17 to 24 points per game, and we're just throwing out numbers, we haven't researched how many points per game all these teams have done, gone, I don't think they're going anywhere. Yeah, so, like, I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. I, th- I think you got a minimum of two years, and for me, I think that's fine. I understand, though, I am pro Brian Callahan and Ben Johnson over everybody. But I'm not pro Bobby Sloak over everybody. So, like, yeah. that's kind of where the line is drawn for me, is that, like, I'm pro some offensive coordinators over everybody, offensive head coaches, and I'm pro defensive head coaches over the field. So, like, to me, that's just kind of where I'm at with yeah. this whole thing. And I think and that's, that's how people got to remember it because this this roster stinks. Now, listen, if Rand Carthon is better than what even I think he is, then this roster could be good next year. It can happen, right? I mean, we saw, like, the Houston Texans swapped out, like, five, four offensive linemen, then drafted a few as well. And then they got all these guys that fit the system that were wide receivers. I mean, Robert Woods, Noah Brown. We're both new. Tank Dale was an addition. John Mechie came back from injury. They added Dalton Schultz. I mean, they changed that entire offense, right? Yeah. I mean, that influx of talent. The Titans don't have the resources to do that right now. So we have to be realistic that next year is going to be kind of like that. 
I'm not going to say it's as bad as the 2021 Lions, but Dan Campbell and Aaron Glenn knew going in, and Ben Johns, uh, or well, I guess Anthony Lynn at the time, but the article I read is like Aaron Glenn, Dan Campbell knew, like going in, we need to get the staff, and this is going to be a rebuild. And, and that is what you have, that's what the head coach has to understand is that the resources are good with money, but the resources that you really need for this team to start thriving and have sustained success comes in the draft and they don't have that this year. So like, it's, it's like you have to understand. And I think fans need to go ahead and prepare themselves. This is going to be a rebuild year. Can they be a rebuild year that goes and wins nine games? Sure. We'll see what the roster looks like, but sure, that can happen. But can they be a rebuild year and still go five or six wins? Probably the most likely scenario, in my opinion, yeah. at this point in time. I, and I, I kind of think the Packers are a good example, especially on the offensive side of the ball anyways, of what you what an ideal situation would look like over the next two years, right? Like, I think the Packers went super young, um, and they basically remodeled their entire offense around Jordan Love in two two off seasons. You know, they they went and got uh, Christian Watson um, in the draft. They went and got you know Wicks. They went and got um, uh, your boy uh, Reed. They got Musgrave. They got Kraft. Like they got all these guys who are playing for them. Like I went and looked. Christian Watson is the oldest wide receiver or tight end who caught a pass for them in that game uh against Dallas on uh Sunday. He's 24 Which years just old. Let them all catch passes by the way. <laughs> He's 24 years old. He was the oldest guy that caught a pass for them in that game. Jordan Love is 25. Their entire offensive line, I think uh the only one older than 26 is uh Elgton Jenkins who is older than I thought he was for some reason, but he's 28. And then uh, Aaron Jones is the only guy that's more than that's older than him on the entire offensive roster. So they are uh, they are they have done something remarkable in the way that they've rebuilt that uh, that offense on the fly in Green Bay. And that's what I think the Titans should be looking like. You got to get some stable offensive line pieces, obviously. Um, but then you can go get like if you can get a Dontavian Wicks. Uh, and Jaden Reed, like none of these guys were first round picks, right? Like all these guys that we're talking about in Green Bay, second, third, fourth, fifth, Romeo Dobbs. A lot of senior bowl wide receivers and senior bowls coming up. Just saying. So like, it does not have to be all first round picks. Like you can find guys who can, who can help you later in the draft. And that's what they, the Titans need Rand Carthon to do for them. But yeah, I do think that this could be a relatively quick rebuild but it yeah i mean they're not going to be a super bowl contender in 2024 like go ahead and put that out of your brain that like there's going to be this miraculous season like if if the only way that that happens is if they nail every single transaction that they have this offseason and will levis makes a massive leap in year two um and i just it's not likely right like i mean maybe all the stars align you never know whatever but it is uh very unlikely i think 2025 is the year that i'm circling for like all right they've had a couple years to build this thing around levis now the new head coach is going into year two there's some continuity then you can go maybe and push the pedal down you want to see some baby steps next year but you know i'm not expecting 10 wins next year yeah, I, I think that would be it, it can happen, right? I mean, it, it can. I mean, the division is not that and nobody thought the Texans would be right. I mean, the Texans were like what uh, the the favorites for the the second best favorites, odds on favorites to have the worst record in the NFL. Yeah. And and I think they rounded it out with I think it was Cardinals, then Texans, then uh the Rams Buccaneers and Rams. Yeah. And three of them are in the playoffs. It's <laughs> yeah, crazy. Oh, I mean, th- crazy things can happen. Yeah, this division true. is still prime for the picking because I I don't necessarily believe in Shane Steichen. I know everybody – I had someone call Shane Steichen elite in my mentions well, uh, earlier. I'll say, I'll and say and I, there's a lot going in Philly than just saying Shane Steichen leaving. It's hard. When you lose two coordinators, it's really hard. And when you have a, a dumb dumb idiot like Nick Sirianni who does not know how to manage his own staff properly, even though that he has seen how to do it previously, because obviously Jalen Hurts needs a lot of handholding that I think people overinflate Shane Steichen's importance. 
but I, I am willing to give a little time before I declare Shane Seitz anything. D'Amico Ryans is right now, I mean, obviously, because their Titans don't have a head coach, is the best head coach in the AFC South. And I thought that he was the second best already last year before he even after he got hired. So to me, it's like you're you're chasing the Texans at this point. Jaguars is just going to kind of middle around because they, they have uh, a mediocre coach, an average NFL quarterback, and they're just going to kind of piddle around for a while. I, I agree really with you on you. the Jags. I think the Jags are are have found kind of their level. Honestly, like I just don't know that there's another gear for them to get to with this core. I think they've got to really shake some things up if they're going to find like that next level. But I, I think the Texans are here to stay. I think they're going to be extremely competitive for the next you know, five years, maybe 10 years, who knows? That's a long time in NFL terms, but I I'm higher on Steichen than you are because, because Steichen, Steichen, whatever it, it, I am higher on him. Cause I, I think what happened in Philly is not all him, but I think he gets some credit in the, the postmortem of, all right, maybe we weren't giving him enough credit last year uh, for what, Philly was doing. I would have liked uh, to have seen what he would have done this year. Yeah. With the same mediocre quarterback that he had, but a harder schedule and a much better NFC. Like yeah. the, they did what the Jaguars did, but the Jaguars did it in the terms of the AFC South where they thought that they were just good and they made very minimal moves. And I feel like the Eagles did the same thing. And then they bring in all these ex Titans players. Like they, like they think that they're going to be some, some, some blessing in disguise. Like, did you even watch Tennessee Titans play um, and carry them over the hump? And they didn't. And I, I think that falls, I think of a little, of this falls on Howie Roseman too. I think the Howie Roseman, and I've always said that I think the Howie Roseman um, uh, love is way overrated as yeah. a, as a GM. Um but I I feel like to me, I would like to have seen what Steichen does in a in a because we saw what he his offense does against really good teams in the AFC, and he had the benefit of an easy schedule in Indianapolis, had a busy benefit of an easy schedule in Philly last year. Yeah, we'll see what what happens when it gets tougher. I know I I, I agree with that, but also. They went from 30th in the NFL in scoring to 10th in the NFL in scoring under Steichen this year with Gardner Minshew at quarterback and basically the same supporting cast around him. I mean, and Jonathan well, they Taylor was They played the Tennessee Titans twice. Well, I mean, yeah, that helps. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I still think it's wildly impressive because they didn't have like a huge influx of talent um, on offense. In fact, Jonathan Taylor missed like most of the year. Um, and they, they put up big time numbers, uh, on offense this year with Gardner Minshew. So like, to me, I thought that was pretty impressive. And I, I honestly feel like Colts and Texans are kind of set up, um, here to, to be tough moving forward. If Anthony Richardson hits, which I know you're an Anthony Richardson fan, we still need to see a lot Not more. anymore. Now that he's injured, I'm out. Yeah, I mean, I, the, I think the, play Lucas, uh, the Lucas Oil Stadium turf too much for me yeah. to believe that with the way the style that he plays football is going to be able to be sustainable. Now, if yeah, he I think he's going to miss games we'll all the time. Um, but yeah, it's it's it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out next year with with him back. Yeah, so to me, it's like when you are bringing in this guy, it's not a you want offensive minded head coaches number one. Yeah, but if these offensive-minded head coaches blow their fucking interview, right, and they don't get hired anywhere, and you land on defensive-minded head coach, which is quite possible, possible, right? I mean, Eric Bieniemy yeah. has not gotten a head coaching job because apparently he's a terrible interview. That kind of stuff happens all the time. Yeah. People pull their name from the runnings and decide, hey, I'm just not ready. I'm going to stay here. Happens all the time. So. I think that what you're looking for is someone that's innovative. And I think that a lot of these people outside of Dan Quinn, I don't know what to expect from Mike Kafka, but I'm just not ready to throw any support behind Mike Kafka. Antonio Pierce, I don't know. I think those three are kind of like, the, I don't think they fit the vision at this point. I, um, I will say like, like Kafka's pedigree is kind of interesting. Having spent a bunch of time with Andy Reid and KC and then going to work for Brian Dayball in New York. I like his mentors. I don't know any, I don't know enough about him and I don't know that he's been doing anything long enough to really be a head coaching 
candidate at this point, but yeah. I like his pedigree anyways. Yeah, but his own family calls him boring. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I'm out. And we don't yeah. need boring. Like, we need, we, because to me, Mike Vrabel was like a different kind of energy level. But he was kind of like, he didn't really give you a lot of good insight on a weekly basis. He just kind of gave you like half-assed answers. And I, I need some, if we're going to keep doing this whole presser thing, and, you know, where everybody overreacts to pressers and all this kind of stuff. I just at least need something to, you know, really sink my teeth into, my beaver teeth, if you're watching on YouTube. Um, but I really need I really need an interesting guy. But, like, to me, it's like a Mike if Aaron Glenn and Mike McDonald get hired, yeah. I understand that people are going to be disappointed. Yeah. But let's say, because, like, people are like, why aren't they interviewing Frank Smith? Well, I mean, like Frank Smith only has like one interview lined up. So maybe the NFL is telling you a little bit of something about Frank Smith. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but, and maybe the entirety of the NFL is wrong. They've been wrong before. But sometimes you just got to pay attention to the other job openings to see maybe where you landed and in comparison. Cause that's what you're comparing them to, right? You're comparing these hires, comparing these hires to the hires of everybody in that cycle. Yeah. So you, that's what you got to look at. So like, I just encourage people that if it's Mike McDonald or Aaron Glenn, let them build a staff because Aaron Glenn has a lot of passing game coordinators that he can pull from that are from the Vikings that are from the lions that are from, um, uh, shit, Denver under Peyton. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, I mean, he has a lineage that he can go back to that is involved with, offensive-minded head coaches like you want, right? Like, if you want an offensive-minded head coach, he still has future potential offensive-minded head coaches to pull from for offensive coordinator. And look, you could potentially get, like, a combination, right? Like, you could get an Aaron Glenn, and he hires Brian Callahan as his play-calling offensive coordinator, right? Because Callahan is not currently a play-caller in Cincy. Uh, you could say the same for Kafka. You could say the same for um, who else is Seahawks on there? Seahawks game coordinator, Sanjay Law. Yeah, there's there's several non-play calling. Um, or there's se several like potential offensive coordinator candidates that are like that Matt LaFleur hire. Uh, you know, now if you got Brian Callahan and he calls plays, he's likely leaving after year one. Like to me, that's right. like, okay, See, that, that's that a year, example, maybe worth yeah. it, but that's a year one guy. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think it would be I, it would be a risk that I'd be willing to take. Um, but yeah, you could bring in like Thomas Brown as your offensive coordinator. Like there could be like one of these coaching candidates, Brian Johnson, if the Eagles get blown up, whatever. Um, there's there's certainly candidates out there that you could pair with him to make a really nice duo. Now you still have the instability problem and all that, but yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you've got to keep an open mind if they go defensive because it's not um, it's not a guarantee that it's going to be a disaster, right? I mean, like, again, five of the eight division winners this year were defensive or, like, you know, quote-unquote CEO-style head coaches that weren't play callers. So, um, I don't know. I think it's it's worth keeping an open mind to anyways, even if, uh, okay, even so, if that's yeah, not your preference. I forgot. Frank Smith just got the Seahawks interview this week. The oh, for head coach over there. Yeah. Okay. So he's got two of them. Um, and yeah, I think they should talk to Frank Smith. Um, <laughs> I think they but, should. I mean, I'm all for talking to like Frank Smith, Dave Canales and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Like I'm all, I'm all for the more people that you interview, the better. And, for sure. and as, as and, and been... Eldon's right. I mean, like, uh, right here, does it Ben Johnson run the same system as Tim Kelly? Could he choose to keep him to run that system? Uh, ben Johnson does run that system, but Ben Johnson's, I don't think, of uh, a realistic candidate that anybody needs. I'm like, I'm putting off writing about Ben Johnson and Dan Quinn because I don't think they're getting hired at the Tennessee Titans, and I don't want to write 37 to 4,700 words on, and I'm not going to write that on Dan Quinn, but on Brian Johnson or Ben Johnson because I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I do think that there, there's a possibility that like a Tim Kelly could come back or whatever. Um, and, and it would make sense to keep parts of the coaching staff, not all of the coaching staff. I think staff, Charles but... London, like I think Charles London is almost a lock for the next staff. 
I think they're going to keep Charles London. To me, that matters more because he has scheme flexibility. He has Earnhardt Perkins and experience in the Shanahan system as well, Shanahan McVay system as well. You got to remember that Sean McVay and Mike McDaniel both interviewed him for their offensive coordinator positions before they went other direction. So, like, let's say you hired Thomas Brown, Aaron Glenn, Mike McDonald. I think that any of these guys, even Brian Callahan, have a good chance to keep it Charles London, and that's much better than keep it Tim Kelly. Show Tim Kelly the door. Yeah, London London can serve as the bridge to Levis for the new staff, which I do think they probably want, right? Like, I think you want to and, keep and, some of that connection. Oh, I got you. I was saying, couldn't Glenn hire Kelly since he runs that Detroit-type offense Ben Johnson runs? Uh, I think that he would go somewhere else other than Tim Kelly. Um, I think probably. there's other guys that he could pull from from Detroit. Uh, there's Tanner Inkstrad, uh, who is the Lions pass game coordinator, and supposedly the heir apparent to Ben Johnson uh, in, in Detroit lions. Like right now lions Reddit is terrified because if you look at the Eagles, they lost two coordinators. If the, if the lions lose two coordinators, they'll likely take a step back from where they are right now, but they're terrified that ten, Tanner Inkstrad will go with one of these coordinators. So then mm. they're probably being stuck with like Scotty Montgomery, which may not be necessarily bad, but Scotty Montgomery could go with the other one. And then yeah. they're also really terrified of losing, it turns out, Kelvin Shepard, a, a three-year coach for the Lions. Mm. So, but And he was the, he was obviously the former linebacker in Tennessee, or not in Tennessee, but in the NFL. Yeah. He's a three-year coach. But they are terrified that he is going to be the defensive coordinator somewhere. So I don't know much about Kelvin Shepard, but I thought that was interesting going in on Lions Reddit, seeing what – like. When you go into these Reddits, that's when you really find out the juicy details. Like, do they really want someone to go? Do they really not? Are they afraid of who's going to take over? Who's the replacement? That's when you kind of find out stuff. Like, if Mike McDonald left, it was all just fuck the Tennessee Titans, stay away, you didn't give us Derrick Henry, all in Reddit. (laughs) But when it was um, Mike Kafka, everybody's like, oh, take Mike Kafka. You can have him. See ya, good riddance. Good riddance to Mike Kafka. Yeah, it, I, I do think that while fans don't always know, right, like they have a good idea of who's good. When there's an overwhelming not. sense, yeah. like I feel like when it's all, they're all repeating like the same thing, that's yeah. when you know. When there's divisiveness, that's when you don't really know. Yeah, because I, I do feel like, yeah, some people, there's times fans have gotten it wrong or whatever, but um yeah, I think mostly you can tell that there's there's been some reporting or something. There's something behind like that feeling generally mm-hmm. uh, when it it is overwhelmingly positive or negative towards uh, a coach. I think it would be quite odd, Mike, if Adam Peters and Rand Carthon have not talked in state of communication, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I've seen a lot of people say, well, Vrabel is probably going to the commanders. I don't think that's going to be the case. I do you think Vrabel's going to go anywhere this this year? I think the longer this is out there and the longer we don't hear him taking any interviews or any interviews being requested. I kind of feel like my Vrabel's I'm not saying that's what the NFL thinks of him. And maybe this is a forced a break or a forced hiatus from coaching maybe it's his own decision to take a hiatus from coaching i'm kind of getting the sense that i don't think mike rabel's getting a head coaching job well he hasn't been connected anywhere yet as far as like an actual interview request or anything like right. that so yeah. and that would get out there let's be honest that's not one of the ones like that you're you're the ones that diana Rusidi tweets about like Oh, well, you don't know of every head coaching interview that's gone out. There's going to be some. Those are like your in-house candidates, right? Like I maybe they interviewed like Tony Dews to Rail Williams or, you know, Tim Kelly. We just don't know about it. Yeah. But I feel like I feel like first off, like everybody's like, oh, Vrabel will like if the Eagles fire Sirianni, Vrabel should be the odds on favorite and he should take that job. I think Vrabel and Howie Roseman would not get along. The way that Howie Roseman and Jeff Lurie are involved in the day-to-day operations on the coaching side, I don't think that's going to fly. And I don't think Jerry Jones and Mike Vrabel would get along, really, because I think Jerry Jones is a meddlesome owner. If he did, like, I don't know, like, maybe they changed their mind, but I don't feel like... And then what happens when, you know, you have to go into the 
taking over a good team is one thing, but what happens when that good team starts getting disbanded and start pieces start going away? What happens then? Yeah, I don't necessarily know if Mike. I think Mike Vrabel's best shot is Seattle. Like I think I think it's the perfect fit, and I think that it's the perfect marriage between GM and head coach that he could that he could ask for. I think Seattle is his best fit, bar none. See, I if I was Mike Vrabel, I would stay the hell away from Seattle because I you're going back to another situation with a middling quarterback and, and that's no where he's road good. and no road to a good quarterback. Like well, that's to when, me, that's when he's at his best. <laughs> I don't think Vrabel liked. I don't think Vrabel is is probably going to sign up for another job that does not have a path to a real quarterback. Um, and whether that's somebody that's already in place or somebody that they can draft because they've got a high draft pick that year or whatever. Um, and look, like Vrabel just got a contract extension um, this past offseason, which was apparently a pretty highly paid contract extension. He can sit on his ass and collect checks from Amy Adam Strong until he's ready to go take a co coaching job. Maybe he wants to sit back and just wait and see what happens with some of these openings. I think he can afford to pick and choose. I don't think he has to go interview for every job. I mean, like clearly the guy made a lot of money in the NFL and he's already made a lot of money uh, coaching the Titans as well. So like, there's not, there's not going to be some huge, well, I got, you know, the mortgages due. I got to go pedal my, my wares out there or look at taking a defensive coordinator job or whatever. I think he'll sit back and, and pick his spot and who knows, maybe a year off um, and, and, you know, getting further away from this whole ordeal in Tennessee will make him a more attractive candidate next cycle too. I like, I don't know. I, I get the feeling that he's going to pick his spots and he's probably only going to interview like one or two places when he does decide to interview. So, um, to me, I still think he gets a head coaching job. I don't know whether it'll be this year or next year. If I was him, I wouldn't be in a huge rush to do anything, though. I would not take a job just to take a job that did not have me set up for success. Yeah, I mean, but, like, what is that job, right? I, and when you look across all of these guys, all of this, um, across the 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 openings, yeah, I don't know if there is that job. I mean, Chargers would be one, I think. But you, you, um, you have to go in with a GM that you may that you may not agree with, right? We know yeah. we saw that worked out. Um, you have aging pieces all over the offense, and then you have a defense that's quite frankly an underachieving defense made up of veterans that aren't that good and overpaid. That is still why. Yes, you can cut people and restructure and all that kind of stuff, but you're kind of going into the same thing where it's everything is everything else except for the quarterback is really bad. Like in my opinion, like, I mean, it's, it's some stuff's average and stuff like that, but gotta, like, gotta... it's not that great of a job, especially again with an owner that does not like spending. <laughs> I guess like, I mean, I don't know. You've got, I mean, you've got a, a quarterback and you've got a left tackle, right? Like, I mean, those, those, yeah cornerstones are in place um which arguably were the two things that bit him the most in tennessee um i yeah i mean i i don't know that it's a perfect spot or whatever um i would say uh well vegas doesn't really I and mean, vegas doesn't have anything roster wise that you're excited about um besides Devonte adams who's older and uh, a decent offensive line uh, and Max Crosby. That's it, right? Like there's no other pieces in place there. Um, but I guess the benefit is they're hiring a GM as well, right? Um, so you could potentially shoehorn your your Ryan Cowden in there um, if if you wanted to look at that opening. Uh, and then the Panthers are in the same boat. Ryan Cowden, too, right? lots, lots of uh, people lining up to interview Ryan Cowden, by the way. And like, I guess I wouldn't be... Totally floored if Rabel. You want to throw um, that out there for everybody? Says, "Well, you don't know if Rod Kelt's gonna be a good GM or not." Well, well, well we've seen. I yeah, I mean, he you're getting the message. He interviewed a lot uh, before um, yeah. and didn't get anything, so I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know that any of these were like blow blow me away kind of like spots. I mean, those spots really come over. But it, like, if the Eagles came open, 
I still think the Eagles would be pretty attractive. Uh, if the Cowboys came open, I think that Cowboys would be super attractive. Despite the fact, like, I think they're attractive. Like, but I don't know if Vrabel is going to find sustained success like everybody thinks. I don't know. That, I, that's kind of where I'm at. I think if you plugged him in in Dallas, and look, there's no guarantee. Like, just because he didn't get along with, you know, Rand Carthon and uh, didn't get along with Amy Adams Strong apparently that well, doesn't mean anybody. he's going to have these issues with every single owner or every single GM. Like it just may just be that those people did not. Click. Tigers don't change their stripes, Mike. I don't know if you've heard that old adage. Uh, uh, I don't change your stripe, but I can sure beat the shit out of a tiger. I think that's how the adage is. No, goes. that's not. That's God. We're, we're not let's going end, back down end, this road again. Let's end with the Titans coaching comps. Have you seen my Titan Titans coaching comps yet? I did. I did see those. Okay. Well, I just for those that have not uh, seen the tweet, Brian Callahan, Mountain Man Matt LaFleur. You like that comp? What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a little rugged. I almost did Lumberjack Matt LaFleur, but he's very rugged. Yeah. Yeah. Mike McDonald, defensive Sean McVay. I think we both agree on that one. I agree, yeah. Uh, Ben Johnson, Muscle Beach Kyle Shanahan. You like that one? Because he's a little bit more fit. Kyle Shanahan's pretty fit, but he's a little bit more fit. Is Ben Johnson like all... He's not like Muscle Beach. He's not like that, but I think he's more fit. And he does. He does have a pretty good like jawline. Yeah. So he's got a good demeanor, a physical demeanor. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, Antonio Pierce, defensive Dan Campbell. Like I could see Antonio, like the stuff that Antonio Pierce says out in the yeah. uh, like Theo head type head coach, but the stuff he says, yeah, like uh, the Raider way and the, and, the, and all that kind of stuff. I, I can and see he that. He talks yeah. like in a yeah. He, he yeah. He talks in like a real way, like Dan Campbell does. Yeah. Bobby Slowick, uh, low T Mike McDaniel, so low testosterone for those people who don't know. <laughs> you like that one? I thought that was pretty good. That's a good one. That's a good one. Aaron Glenn, non terrorist, uh, Sean McDermott, uh, no terrorist affiliation right now. Yeah, uh, yeah he's, he hasn't given any speeches about Al Qaeda yet. Uh, yeah, no 9 11 speeches. Um, Dan Quinn, uh, Kyle Shanahan merchant, Mike Vrabel, or Micah Parsons would have been a good one uh, to throw yeah. out there. Uh, I like yeah. that one. Thomas Brown, bad situation, John Harbaugh. And I, I feel like because mm. John Harbaugh kind of floats in between this world of like, oh, he's he's when he suit when it suits you, he's a special teams head coach. When it suits you, he's a defensive head coach. But I feel like uh, above all else, he's a really good CEO head coach. and He's really yeah. good with his players and everything. And I think Thomas Brown's good. It's more like that than he is offensive and defense. I think I think Thomas Brown falls into the CEO head coach category myself. Yeah, I would, uh, would kind of skew that way. Uh, Brian Johnson, cheesesteak Brian Schottenheimer. And, and I hate to say that about my boy Brian Johnson because I really liked Brian Johnson last year heading into uh, heading into the uh, Titans offensive coordinator search. But Brian Johnson has a lot to prove before I give him a head coach. And Brian Schottenheimer is like that guy that just kind of floats around and is only as good as his head coach. Shots maybe fired. That's what, Shots maybe fired. that's what Brian Johnson is. And Mike Kafka, Nosferatu. <laughs> He does. He has a uh, yeah. There's some of those pictures floating around of him out there. I'd be like, I can we get the scrub from the internet, please? Yeah, um, I love the people that can't think for themselves because you know I've seen one uh, fanalist say that Aaron Glenn is older than Mike Vrabel, so he automatically sucks. And now everybody's in my mentions saying, "Well, he's an older version of Mike Vrabel." Okay, well you're just echoing someone else. You think for your fucking self. And who gives uh, and a hopefully shit secondinbox.com will help you it, think for yourself. And he's like older like he's, by three years, by the way. It's not like he's 70, <laughs> right? Like I mean, we're talking about a guy that's what, by 49, the way, 50, something like that. Now, Mike, a couple of years ago, we were on Buck's show, uh, the 615 sessions, I think, or the Buck Rises show, whatever it was called at yeah. the time. And I told everybody that don't worry, the deadline for the franchise tag is right near my birthday. And that deal's going to be done. Okay? That deal's going to get done. Don't worry. Then, turn around. I just want you to know that I looked at it this morning when I looked up Aaron Glenn's age. Because I was like, he can't be that much older than Mike Frabel. Me and Aaron Glenn share the same birthday. So I'm throwing it out there right now. The Zach birthday uh, is going to go 2-0. and Aaron Glenn's going to be your Tennessee Titans head coach in 2024. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> the Zach birthday theory is undefeated so far. So it's true. It's true. You're like doubling down now, though. It, it'll be interesting to see if this uh, if this pans out. If it pans out, then we're just going based off of your birthday for everything from now on. There you go. You may you may have to. I mean, it's just how life works out sometimes. 
Uh, that will do it for us. Bluegrass Beverages, Hendersonville, Tennessee. Um, go out there, get your uh, supplies while, while it lasts, while it's open, before the, the next quote-unquote storm comes in. Make sure to go out there and get that. Mike's got a piece coming out, and so do we at Stacking the Inbox, where we both talk about lessons learned from Wildcard Weekend. Because apparently, while we may not be technically original thinkers, if we both thought the same thing, we did not discuss it. So we're obviously original thinkers compared to everybody else. So make Some sure you go to stackinginbox.com and Mike Herndon NFL. Don't avoid the herd mentality when it comes to your football coaches. Uh, avoid that. Read at Second Inbox all your head coaching profiles and then decide for yourself. Do not just take someone else's word for it. Take take objective analysis and then come up with your own decision. That's all I ask. When you talk about these head coaches, make sure to be well-researched when you get out there and talk. I know that's hard for some of you, especially if you don't subscribe to StackingInbox.com, but it's well worth it. We got, we got our senior bowl coverage, and I cannot wait to quit talking about head coaches. I am so ready to talk about the senior bowl because this senior bowl roster is stacked. Me and Stoney will be down there and be bringing you articles and audio video coverage every day, and we have a really, really good hit rate with our senior bowl prospects, just wish Tennessee Titans would listen to us a little bit more. For Mike, I'm Zach. This has been Football and Other F-Words, and you have just been effed.